In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zachut of speaking to Dr. Yosefa Fogel Rubel. She is a Ramit in the Women's Bet Midrash at Migdalos, a lecturer at Matan, and the host of their weekly Parsha podcast. She is a Nishmat certified Yoetta Halacha and a Kala teacher. Thank you so much, Yosefa, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. Just want to give a shout out to you and the Matan Parsha podcast. Um, it's really great to have you on. Really my pleasure. If I'll be honest, this is actually my first time being a guest on a podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward. It's Desert Island Torah. Three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Sure. So I guess before I, I share the first piece, I just want to say that I'm sure that if this question was asked to me in a year from now, my answers would be different. And so this is sort of representational of what came to mind as I thought about it in the past uh, in the past few days. But, you know, I'm sure that this is something that changes over time and the things that touch us and that sort of... Um, sort of walk through life with us really shift over time. But uh, if I guess I could jump into the first one, maybe in honor of the fact that you're British. No, I'm joking. It's actually from Rabbi Sachs. Uh, and it's something that was actually the inspiration for the theme of our this year's Brayshit podcast on, on our podcast at Matan. Uh, and it's from Rabbi Sachs's introduction to the, the book of Brayshit. Uh, it's a real shame, actually, because for some reason, this is not translated into Hebrew. So whenever I teach Breshid in Hebrew, which is often, <laughs> I can never bring it. But I sort of give a paraphrase of what he says in his introduction. Uh, I really had this sort of was walk around with this question for a long time, which is why does Sefer Breshid open with family dynamics and also really, really complicated ones? Parshanim tend to ask the question, you know, why do we open with the creation of the world or why do we not open with uh, mitzvot if essentially, if we think that maybe that's the point of the whole Torah. But a question that I sort of had for a long time was why open with family specifically and, and really, really complicated ones. And honestly, Rabbi Sachs is, is um, definitely the only religious Jewish uh, thinker that I've seen address this. Uh, and he says, he really gives three answers to this question. And then I'll explain why this is really meaningful to me. Uh, he says, first, I'll just read a little bit from his source. He says, not by accident is Genesis a book about the family. The family is where we learn emotional and spiritual intelligence. There is nothing simple or idealized about the families of Abraham and Sarah. Only much later in Tanakh, we discover that the family will turn out to contain the most compelling metaphors for the relationship between human beings and God himself. He is our father. We are his children. He is our husband. We are his betrothed. The tensions within the patriarchal family are symptomatic of Israel's later, larger battles with God, with humanity, and with itself. Uh, and so Rabbi Sachs really says here is that he really, there's two ideas, I think, embedded in this first piece of his, which is that we really meet humans. We meet our family before we meet God. The Torah, that way, really tries to come and mimic human development, right? Meaning you have some really philosophical three and four-year-olds, but initially what we do is that we meet our family and we, we absorb those systems. And then when we get older, we start sort of thinking more consciously about our relationship with God. And so in that way, the Torah kind of develops with us that we open with family dynamics, and then we really move deeper into having a relationship with God. The second piece he has there is that because that's the sort of initial blueprint of how we interact with the world, 
those will be the most meaningful prisms through which to understand our relationship with God. I will say that it gets a lot less press, but God is often uh, really parallel to a mother, uh, sort of in later prophets in Yeshayahu, uh, in Yov. And so, and so really that is significant that the Torah should begin with those familial relationships. Of course, it gives us a starting point, sometimes an unideal one that we have to sometimes uh, overcome. Another idea that Rabbi Sachs says is that the focus on family really reminds us that the God of Avraham, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a personal God. Uh, he's not the God of the philosophers. He's not distant. He's right there sort of in the trenches with us. He's hearing our prayers. He's present in our lives. Um, and this is also really uh, emphasized by the fact that we have the way that God interacts with families and with barren women, right? And in all these difficult, uh, difficult situations. And the last thing that Rabbi Sachs says in his introduction is that by placing the stories of Genesis before the book of Exodus, with its story of the birth of the Israelites as a nation, the Torah is implicitly telling us of the primacy of the personal over the political. If we cannot create peace or justice or compassion within the family, will be unable to do so within the nation, with the nation or the world. And that piece to me is always so powerful, especially as we're now in Sefer Shemot and we've sort of moved on to the, the national stage, which is that we have to start with the family unit before we talk about Am Yisrael as a nation. Um, that is the building block of, of everything. And if we didn't, if we can't figure out how to function with our siblings or our parents, then we're certainly not able to figure out how to function with other powers I think what sort of every once in a while I see on like blog pieces online, therapists who try to like say, let me take my tools and see if I can apply it to like, you know, Middle Eastern political disasters. And it, no one ever takes it too seriously. I honestly think it's genius. Um, but I think that this idea of Rabbi Sachs is utterly powerful that we have to first start with the family structure, not just because the the nation obviously is built by family. That's a factual biological idea, but that we have to first work on those, those skills and those relationships before we can figure out how to function on a much larger scale. So that's really a piece that, I don't know, follows me everywhere. I guess maybe because Sefer Beishit is definitely of my favorite books in all of Tanakh. Uh, and, uh, and also because I think interpersonal relationships and family well, I'm not a therapist, um, are things that also deeply interest me uh, in the way that they function in our lives, the way they impact our quality of life. And I find it really, really meaningful that the Torah clearly believes that as well and therefore starts off from that place. So that's my first piece of Torah. Absolutely. I think that whole notion of um, Bereshit being all about human beings, um, starting with the notion of human beings is fundamental. Um, you spoke about Abraham and I never really... I've always thought about human beings in the context of Rav Soloveitchik's kind of philosophy. Um, but now I thought about it, it's like the whole idea of covenant and family. Um, it's really, really strong and really important. And ultimately, we can't go forward unless we know how to be human beings and work with our families. And I think it's a really, really powerful point. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I think also whenever I think about or teach about the Yosef story, it's always also a very powerful paradigm because you know, we can try and run away from family or he didn't run, he didn't initiate the run, but we can try and sort of put that behind us. But at some point it'll sort of jump up and meet us, you know, wherever it is, whether because they physically show up or because, um, you know, being a parent without having sort of gained clarity in the previous generation can often be very difficult. And I just find that most of the basic psychological truths out there, 
existence they've appreciated and always find that incredibly meaningful. Exactly. And I think Rabbi Sachs has an essay on Vayachi and he says um, that Bereshit is not about power, but it's about family. And that's where life together begins. And I think that really kind of really sums up um, everything we've like briefly discussed. And also, I think he also points out that Bereshit ends with grandparents blessing the grandchildren. Um, Yaakov shows that it's possible to bless all your children, even if you have a fractured relationship with some of them. And Yosef shows that it's possible to forgive like his siblings, even if they've done great harm. And these are just things that happen in everyday life. And it's being portrayed in the beginning um, and such a powerful message that family starts with the beginning and it's part of the beginning. So should we go into your second piece? Sure. Um, my second piece is an idea that I will quote in the name of Rabbi Moshe Terrigan, who teaches in Shiva Taratzion. But I don't want to give him too much credit because I'm probably going to botch this up. <laughs> it's an idea that I heard before podcasts were a thing. Literally, oh my goodness, how many years ago? Probably uh, 17 or 16 years ago when the Shiva Taratzion was like the first, you know, sort of religious body putting out audio Torah. So they had this podcast, I think it was called then KMTT. And I think Ray Bick was the sort of the host, if you can call it that. And so this is an idea, I believe I heard there a million years ago, but I, it's since morphed into many things. So I'll, I want to, I want to give him the shout out. And it's funny. I just, um, Baruch Hashem was his daughter's Madrichat's Kalot. And so he gave a director and then I gave a director and I wanted to tell him like, Hey, I want to share something you said, but I was I was too embarrassed. So I want to give him the credit, but if I mess it up, it's all my mistake. Okay. It's not his. So uh, it's a Gemara and Brachot. It's a familiar Gemara, but it's something that has been very meaningful to me over the years. It's the Gemara and Brachot Kavav uh, And it, it really says, it says the following. It's in the famous discussion of whether Tfilah is, uh, is really parallel or was established in parallel to the sacrifices or it was established in parallel to tefillot that each of the avot themselves established. And so this is the Gemara on the second part. Um, and again, I'll, I'll read the Gemara and I'll share the, the idea that, again, is from him or maybe at this point also a little bit mixed in with some, some of my own thoughts. Avram tiken tefillat shacharit, sheneemar, v'yashkem Avram baboker, el ha-mokom asher amad sham. V'en amida el ha-tefillah, sheneemar, v'yamod pinchas v'yifalel. So, Tefillat Shacharit, again, an idea that many of us are familiar with, says the Gemara was established by Avram Avinu. And the part that Rabbi, that Rabbi Tarragon, I remember, had taught is the focus on the verbs themselves. Okay, the, the Shacharit is called Amida. Okay, and that that isn't just a title, but that it represents a, a an internal internal spiritual space, an internal, we would say, an Amida Nafshit. There's a... The, the space that our, our heart occupies at that time. And that when you wake up in the morning, right, there's a certain almost like, imagine kind of like a soldier, right? You're, you're getting up. I know for me in the morning is like the easiest time to uh, to focus on tefillah, mostly because I'm just groggy. So I have the fewest interrupter, you know, interrupting thoughts then. It's much more difficult as the day progresses. But there's something of there of the waking up, and that Avram is the one who establishes tefillah from a um, internal space of amida, of standing before God, of sort of like being almost, let's say, God, God's soldier. The next tefillah is is Yitzchak, 
Uh, and that's in the next part of the Gemara, where it says, Yitzchak tiken tefilat mincha, shenemar, vayetze Yitzchak lasuach basadeh lifnot arev. Ve'en sicha ela tefila. Shenemar tefila lani ki yatof ulifnei Hashem yishpoch sicho. So the next tefila, as we know, is mincha, established by Yitzchak. But what is the characteristic verb? It's... It's sicha, right? It's some sort of conversation. Just taught this means more last week of tefillah laniki atof. And so tefillah here is really parallel to that means more is sicha is tefillah. But he says, what is the word sicha? It's a conversation. He says, when you, you know, make time in the afternoon to meet God, you're in the middle of like your whole busy day, you know? And so you sort of, what do you do? You have to take everything that's going on. And as I said, sort of like the big mess in your mind. And just bring it into the tefillah itself, meaning it's not to try and separate from the rest of the day, but to take all of it with us and to just bring it into conversation with God. You're in the middle of thinking about your taxes. You're in the middle of thinking about, you know, the shul you have to prepare for tomorrow. You're in the middle of whatever you're doing. Bring that in and it should be a, a conversation. There's something less rigid almost about this tefillat mincha than, than about the shacharit as it was described, um, as we described it before. And the last piece in the Gemara is uh is Yaakov tiken tefilat arvit shenamar vayifga bamakom vayalen sham ve'en pegi'a el tefila shenamar vata al titpalel ba'ad ha'am haze ve'al tisa ba'ad ha'am rina utfila ve'al ve'al tifga bi okay so the last one is Yaakov who establishes tefilat arvit which is very fitting Yaakov is our is our patriarch who has the most struggle he struggles at night so it's fitting that his tefila is one that's established at night um, and he says that the word pigi'ah, he translated, I believe, as confrontation. Uh, and that the, the, the Gemara brings another pasuk. It's interesting, by the way. It brings a pasuk from Breshi, but it feels a need to bring in a pasuk to support each of those ideas from another place in Tanakh. And uh, and the tefillah there is this is is something that is, first of all, it's harsher. Okay, it's something that is much more pleading and beseeching. And so he says the pigi'ah, or this kind of tefillat elvit, it's a tefillah that's really like an, an urgent tefillah that's trying to change God. It's those moments when we say, I don't want to accept what you've given me. I want it to be different. It's not the amidah. It's not sort of like the soldier stance of shacharit. It's not like that softer conversation of bringing God into your life in, in mincha, but it's much something. It's something that's much. Um, it's much more urgent. It's something that's a bit more. Uh, I would say a bit darker also uh, in in Elvit. and again, this idea I think just was something that, first of all, it helped me in my tefillah. It helped me to sort of also like accept all different versions of it. <laughs> Definitely at at different points of life where. Uh, whether all three of these tefillot were happening exactly at the right times or, or, or all different shifts that happen over time. Mostly, I just really thought about the fact that uh, ultimately tefillah really is meant to represent like the the emotional, mental space that we're occupying at that time. And that that's sort of embedded in the way that the tefillot themselves were established. They're not all, it's not supposed to be three times a day saying the same thing. Technically, it might be saying some of the same words, but each time, again, whether they fit exactly into those three rubrics or not, it's it's really bringing whatever mental, emotional state, spiritual state we're in at that moment and, and sort of bringing it before God. I always felt like it sort of just like opened up a bit of like a, a gateway, no matter what was actually going on. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I think it's so important that Gemara, it kind of teaches that tefillah is expressed in 
the personality. So in the morning, Abraham was confident, Yitzhak was contemplating, and Yaakov had fear. And I think whenever we have, like, say to Filah, um, whenever we have our own experiences and bring Hashem into our prayers, we kind of have our own experience based on the time of the day. I think that's really unique. Yeah, no, uh, I, yeah, I think that's a really nice idea. Also, how how we our mood shifts with the with the time of day that we're in. I think that um, you know, obviously, if everybody plays out a little bit differently, you know, there could be someone listening and saying, "Oh, I don't know, I have a really easy time jumping right in there at, at mincha." You know, everybody their 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 nefesh functions differently, but I think just like preserving that diversity itself is uh, is a really powerful thing. Um, so yeah, that's an idea that's really been with me for a long time. Really love that. So should we go into your third piece? Sure. Okay. So my third piece, I guess I'll introduce it by saying that, um, in, in any sort of public setting, my real isuk is, is Torah and, uh, and Tanakh specifically, but, uh, but all those who know me personally know that I'm highly embedded in the world of health and particularly holistic health. Uh, I mean, I'm a Yotzer Halacha, so I speak to women all the time about their about their health. Really, Halacha is a big part of it, but really, the biggest part of it is about their their health and their well being. Um, and and I'll also say that um, part of why this source is very significant to me is because I've had a lot of opportunity to think about illness. Um, my father uh, passed away a number of years ago from cancer. And I just have a lot of people that I know firsthand who, who have been sick. And it's something that I've thought about, I would say actually relatively in a calm way in, in general, when I have like the big questions in life, I like to keep them with me, hold them in my heart. And I'm not really a big fan of sort of big freakouts. Um, the bigger questions usually take the longest to find responses to that feel right for us. Um, and while this Rambam, which I'll, I'll just summarize a bit in a moment from Moran Nebuchim on the topic of illness is not one, I'll, I'll, I'll speak about why I think that it might not speak to many. Uh, it's one that speaks to me really, really deeply. It speaks to my perspectives uh, on health uh, and on, on dis-ease, right, or disease that people experience. And so it's something that I've thought a lot about, although I again, from speaking with many people and, and mostly listening to people, I'm very aware of the fact that it's not something that's necessarily so suited uh, for everybody. So with that introduction, uh, I'm speaking about the Rambam's sort of, he has a number of places where he speaks about the concept of illness, uh, but this is from Marina Vuchim, okay, it's from his third third section of Marina Vuchim. And he he really talks about the idea of, of Ra, okay? But when he says Ra, he actually here really refers to, he's speaking a lot about illness specifically. He says there's three, I'm not going to read it inside. So there's there's three kinds of, of Ra that exist uh, in the world, okay? He says the first is, is sort of like this natural decay that happens because people are created from Homer or created from material, sometimes there's mess ups in the material. Uh, and so sometimes people are not born healthy. Um, but he says this, and there's, they could be born with some sort of mumim, some sort of, you know, um, some sort of uh, deformity. Uh, but he says, and he says this in a bunch of places also, he says it's, it's the vast minority. Meaning if you think about like the broad 
you know, broader humanity, most people are born healthy. And again, thinking about the Rambam, right? This is like before, you know, genetic testing or prenatal testing. And he says, if you look about, you know, look at the, the vast majority of humanity, people are born healthy. And okay, once in a while you have, you have sort of uh, mistakes. See, it doesn't say genetic mistakes, but you have you have things that go wrong. But he says, but this is a function of people being made of material and not a function of any other problem. And he says, the second kind of evil, quote unquote, is what people cause to each other. Okay, and he says that th- this is more, these are more numerous. These kinds of bad are more numerous than the first. Uh, and he says, for example, it's people killing each other or stealing from each other or, or hurting each other. And he says that, again, the only people to blame are people themselves who who commit these things. And then I'll go back to why I think that that phrasing is significant. And he says the third is that uh, is the most common. And he says that this is the kinds of, of ra that people commit against themselves. And he says most of these uh, most of these evils or, or bad things that happen are because people are too uh, too permissive with themselves. They're eating bad food. They have bad physical habits, um, and they they basically ultimately injure themselves. And what's interesting is that the reason why I think that now, there's one more piece of the Rambam that I'll share in a minute. The reason why I like this Rambam is because ultimately the Rambam is saying, let's be a little bit more cautious about how much we blame God. Okay. Meaning a lot of these bad things that happen are people making choices. And so some of it's just, again, a feature of our, of our physicality, but other things that happen are, is because people are making bad choices. And so he takes God kind of out of the equation in that sense. And that's why for many people, this may not speak to them because in their moments of distress, when something really bad happens, they, they want to find God intimately in those moments. Um, and I guess, I guess for me, what I like about this is a, it, it very much fits in with my general perspectives on health and, and the way we treat ourselves and the fact that we're living in a world that we haven't treated so well. And we put into our bodies, lots of things that shouldn't be there and, and what it's going to create is disease. And, and so I, I very much identify with the Rambam saying, Hey, let's be careful not to blame God for all this. Cause a lot of it is what we're doing to ourselves. On the other hand, I really recognize that when people are going through something really difficult, they want to turn to God for meaning. I personally turn to God for support and to make meaning out of what's happening, but not to necessarily put Hashem into the source of what's happened. <clears throat> but I recognize that for many people, that's not that's not satisfactory. Um, but for me, sort of like creating a boundary around you know, where God is or isn't in these moments, I guess for me was something that I highly identified with. Uh, and the last piece the Ram says in, in this, uh, in this piece of Marina Vuchim, and this is Bichlal, uh, something I identify with. He says, the things we need the most in life are the elements that are most readily available. So he says, speaking about water, I would even put in, you know, like vegetables, <laughs> but he says that all of the Chomarim, all the materials we need in the world, most are the things that are a available the most vastly and that are most easily accessible. And again, just very much in line with how I definitely try and live my life. You know, a rule in our, 
in our home, I teach my children is that if you look at something, if you look at a food or something that's called a food and you, you can't tell what's inside of it, looking at it, then it's not food. That's my way of teaching them when they're little that we don't eat processed foods, right? If you can't look at it and see what element is in it, then clearly it's not what it's supposed to be. Uh, and it's definitely not supposed to be inside your body. So again, there's a lot of elements of the Rambam, not just in this section where he speaks about health. Um, and, uh, and I guess for me, when I'm, you know, again, thinking about the concept of, of illness, which doesn't necessarily occupy my thoughts very much now, Baruch Hashem, but, but definitely there were times where I was thinking about it much more. And, and I think that for me, sort of putting boundaries on where God enters the equation felt much more um, correct and organic for me in terms of my general perspective. And it's not a matter of blaming or, you know, somebody getting sick and then, you know, saying, oh, well, it's because you did this or that. Obviously it's a much more complex concept and you have to be, have to be very careful about those things, but definitely in the way that I would think about it myself internally, and definitely in a way that guides the way that I try and live my life and, and, and teach my children. This is something that, uh, for me is really, really meaningful. Um, so it's a little bit out of left field, but when you're asking about the three things that I really, uh, I think about a lot and that sort of guide, uh, that guide me. So this is, this is definitely one of them. Super important and really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure. So thank you so much yourself for coming on today. It was a real, it was a good to learn with you. My pleasure. And uh, should be a lot of atzlacha. And it's uh, a wonderful idea to hear, have people have the opportunity to, to share pieces of Torah that they, they walk around with. You know, I was, I'm just saying, as I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about the people who are meaningful to me, right? Like those are those, it's sort of a, it's a fun exercise to think about who, you know, what are the sources and who are the people that, that have been, uh, have a meaningful. So anyways, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.